basically saying that there is nothing more powerful than God's love. The result of the love of God, that opening yourself up to the love of God in your life, is joy. So people who have opened themselves up to the inevitability of God's love express it in joy. It's good news not only um, for God's people in the church, but for all people, the psalmist says. Hear now this, I'm not going to sing it, but listen to these words. When the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, when, not if, when the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has great, done great things for all of us. And we rejoice. Restore the fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses and the negub. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seeds of sorrow, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying with them the harvest. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, <clears throat> from dust to downpour, the restorative qualities of water as an agent of God's grace. This morning I want you to consider the power, the inevitable power of the love of God in this world. In just a moment, you're going to be invited to come to this table that has the bread and the cup on it. You're going to be invited to participate in the joy of the Lord's table. This meal is a celebration. It is a meal of thanksgiving and joy. At the table of the Lord, you are invited to laugh at the things that scare you most. Death? Ha! Sorrow? Ha! Trials? Ha, ha, ha. Temptations, <laughs> being down by three points with six seconds left. <laughs> I'm okay. Those who go out weeping will come in with shouts of joy, bringing with them the harvest. The breaking of the bread, the sharing of the cup, the powerful forces of sorrow, regret, pain, suffering, betrayal, torture, even the crucifixion. Ha! Because at this table, we celebrate and reenact that even death is overcome by the love of God in this world and the mercy of God to make right that which is wrong to make straight that which is crooked. In, the com in coming to the Lord's table this morning, you're a part of a great liturgical dance that has been going on for centuries, which the followers of Jesus have been celebrating since the morning when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus showed up on the, on the, on the shore of the sea, and the, and the disciples were out in the boat, and they didn't know what was going on. He said, come and I want you to have a meal with me. 
And so they came, looking at each other, kind of like you're looking at each other. What, what, what's going on, what's going on? And it says that as he took the bread and he broke it, their eyes were open and they realized it was the resurrected Jesus in their presence, laughing at death. And you're invited to that meal. Well, my, I would love to have a little campfire in the ocean right here, you know. And you know, but, well, we, we, but we've, we've, we've transitioned from that. We have air conditioning and central heating now. But it's the same meal. It's the same wonder. It's the same celebration. It is the same joy that the disciples experience when they're standing with Jesus having a meal on the side of the sea. It was beautiful. I would love to have been there. You are. You are right here. The sacramental life is a powerful rhythm that we are invited to participate in that connects God and God's people across the centuries, across generations, across cultures and languages. Uh, all the, the many clans are united at the table. It transcends circumstances. doesn't matter what... What, uh, whether you're in the Roman Empire or the, you know, the, 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 the great nations of the world, whether uh, you're in the midst of war or in the midst of a time of peace, it doesn't matter whether, whether you're in high thriving times where, the, where the, the country and the church and everybody's all unified and we all know what to wear like khaki pants and blue blazers and a tie, right? That was, those were the days. They had that sacrament then. They, this sacrament transcends the generations. It transcends your taste and your culture. It transcends the high times and the low times. A sacramental life is an invitation for you to get in the rhythm with what God is doing. Kind of get out of your own head a little bit and say, you know, it's not all about me. It's about what God is doing. Um, the sacramental life continues when the church is riding high and the pews are full and the coppers are, are overflowing. And the sacramental life continues when the church is kind of back on its heels a little bit and trying to figure out where it's going and what's going on, right? Big churches, small churches, the sacramental life continues. This kind of worship, this kind of invitation um, is... is, is particular to some traditions of the faith. There are, there are traditions of the faith that, that aren't sure about this mystical quality of, of the Lord's Supper, the sacramental life. It's all in their head. You know, you've got to have all the right answers. You've got to understand everything. You've got to say things just right. You've got to have the right creeds, the right confessions, right? No. I mean, there are, that's fine. It's beautiful stuff. The sacramental life is an invitation to sometimes get out of your head. Get out of what I believe and what I know. And just watch what God's doing. And God invites you to come and be a part of it. Um, and the beautiful thing about a sacramental life is when you are weeping and the tears are gushing like geysers, you can come to this table. And when you just had a grandson born and you were overflowing with joy, you can come to this table. Because the table is the sacramental life that's like the tides of the ocean. It ebbs and it flows irregardless of where we happen to be in our particular circumstance. 
the psalmist writes about those who are happy, who experience the joy of the presence of God, the promise of God. He speaks of the inevitability of God to deliver us. When God delivers Israel. When? The assurance that God will deliver us. God is going to have God's way. It will bring joy to not only us, the church people, it's going to bring joy to all people, the psalmist says. All people. When God has God's way, it will bring joy. God wins. Love wins. Jesus rose. We have joy. I got a, I got a message from a UVA uh, fan last night. It said, the team of destiny, Right? And then with six seconds to go, he goes, oh, I don't know about destiny. But the idea that destiny is not really a biblical idea unless you're talking about what God is doing. One of the best ways, of course, to talk about this inevitability of God, that destiny is the current word, but it's the inevitability of what God is doing is guess what? Water because we're in a Lenten series about water, so it has to be about water. But in particular, for me, uh, the ocean. Now, I wish, we, we, we have a worship service at 8.30 in another place, and the, the altar guild, they, I, I didn't know they were going to do this, but I came in, and there was like blue paper and a billowing uh, watery thing, and there was a fan behind it, and it was like doing way, it was, it was so, so amazing. But it was an invitation to say, how is God's grace like that water of the ocean? Um, well, of course I'm going to say the ocean has some particular qualities about it. Unlike ice or geysers or, or rivers. The ocean, uh, when you, I don't know about you, but I love to go to the ocean and look at the ocean. And I think the reason I like that is because it makes me feel small. It reminds me that there are forces going on that have nothing to do with me. They don't care about me. They're going to have their way. They're called tides. And they're called waves. And if you've ever been hit by a big one, you know. Doesn't matter how strong you are. The ocean will have its way with you. This is the inevitability of what the psalmist is trying to tell us about the love of God. You can't stop what God is doing any more than you can stop the tides or hold back the waves. Now, one of my favorite things to, in the ocean as a kid was to build sandcastles. And at first, you know, they were little sandcastles with little forms. But then I would like build big sandcastles with walls and I'd hold back the waves and I had the greatest time. But every morning when I came back, my sandcastle was gone. But I, I enjoyed that idea that, that this was a thing I was doing, but boy, the ocean was going to have its way. I wasn't going to stop the waves from turning my sandcastle into a smooth beach. So I, I like to build those. I like to build sandcastles with my children. And we would do the, they'd do the same thing. They'd start little, but then they'd get bigger, you know. And it's just something about knowing that, that what, what, no matter how beautiful our sandcastle might be, God, the ocean's going to have its way with it. And that's okay. In fact, it, it'd really scare us if we could hold back the tide. I don't know about, it would scare me. So this connection to the ocean is something that I connect with when I think about the inevitability of what God is doing in the world and the promise of the psalmist that when God restores 
the fortunes of Zion. Um, so I have a connection to water. We've been talking a lot about it, whether it's streams and collecting Rivanna River water. But today we're talking about oceans. Um, the, the ocean is a, is a place where we can live out our faith in ways where we care for the water. Uh, we care for the oceans. My, my daughter Julie is one who uh, used to build sandcastles with me, and she's got a little video. She's down in, in South America at the ocean. Talk about taking care of the ocean a little bit. Hello, First United Methodists in Charlottesville. I'm Julie Heaton, and I'm speaking to you from the southern tip of South America in Patagonia. Behind me, you can see a fjord of the Pacific Ocean and the wind and the waves out there. Oceans are the largest ecosystem on Earth, the largest producer of oxygen, the largest single carbon storage unit. 70% of the Earth's surface holding 97% of the Earth's water. Oceans are the planet's support system, its lifeline. It affects our food chains, our economy, and our health. Here's the chemistry that's happening in the ocean right now. Carbon dioxide released into the air, carbon dioxide absorbed by the ocean, carbon dioxide reacts with water to make carbonic acid. The ocean's water becomes more acidic. Not a good thing for living plants, animals, coral reefs. Not a good thing for the ocean. Not a good thing for humans either. It comes down to personal choices. Every time you make a personal choice to reduce your carbon footprint, you are helping the ocean. Every time you walk or bus instead of, instead of use your car, every time you take the stairs instead of the elevator, every time you choose reusable instead of plastic, every time you put on a sweater instead of raising the thermostat, every time you make one of these personal choices, you're making a connection to your oceans, to your environment, and that's a good thing. Just like her dad, she loves the selfies, right? Um, the, the Lenten season is that time in the Christian year where we all are invited to make some personal choices about you know, what you might give up for Lent or, or how you might change your behavior for the 40 days to remind you that you are a part of what God is doing. And we do these things in the season of Lent as intentional behavior changers of ours to help us get in tune with what God is doing. That's kind of what the idea of Lent is all about. And uh, Julie ran off a few wonderful behavioral changes that you could do even longer than 40 days of Lent. This is the way we engage with what God is doing. So we began our Lenten journey, if you remember, uh, four weeks ago we were on the moon. We talked about the dust and the lifeless, waterless surface of the moon and the ashes that we put on our forehead and, and the way that the absence of water is the absence of life. We, we talked about and acknowledged how water sometimes bursts forth in weeping, that we can't stop the, the, the hurt and the trials and the pressure we have inside and it sometimes reveals itself in the water that comes out of our eyes when we weep. We've talked about ice and its ability to just crack through stuff. We talked about erosion and how it can polish down a giant boulder into a beautiful polished stone. The idea that the love and the grace of God in this world can transform not only us and our personal choices, but it can transform the world. As they watch a people who do these things, not out of threats or guilt or you better do this or you're going to burn in hell. 
You do this as an overflowing of joy because you're participating in what God is doing. So today, I want you to hear the psalmist sing of the inevitability of God's joy coming to you, overcoming, going through whatever sandcastle you may be building. God's going to come to you and bring you joy. Take confidence and hope in the power and the rhythm and the inevitability of God's grace through the sacramental life as you, as you come to this table, you participating becoming part of the rhythm of what God does in the sacraments. Now, different churches have different traditions in sacraments. Some people, John Wesley had the sacrament every day. Some once a week. Some once a month. Some once a quarter. Some once a year, whether you need it or not. But the sacramental life is an invitation to that kind of spirituality that has the rhythm of the tide. And you give yourself to it. And it becomes part of your strength, part of your joy. God's people are a joyful people because we know whatever sandcastles we might build, good ones or bad ones, God's love is going to have God's way in our life and God's love is going to have God's way in this world. And God will take our trials, our temptations, our sorrows, our, our, our hurdles, the fear, the cracks in our lives, and God is going to make them beautiful. That's really the promise of Easter. The promise of Easter and the whole buildup of Lent. We're going we're gonna to start Palm Sunday next week, and that's the beginning of Holy Week, where, where for centuries God's people, have we've looked right in the face, betrayal. We look right in the face, fear. We look right in the face, uh, beatings and torture and blood and crucifixions and thorny crowns. We look them right in the face. And we say, on Easter morning, the tides are going to come rolling in. And that's not Alabama. The tide of God's love will not be stopped. And that's what it means to be a resurrection people. Amen.